So this morning, uh, due to popular demand, and by popular, I mean my mom, uh, <laughs> I'm back. So uh, I have a little different delivery, you guys know. And uh, I think I set a precedent because I started last time off with a joke. Now this week, I've got more than one. And you, you got two, two different things you can do here. You can participate either because it's good or you can participate because it's bad. I've tested these out and I've had a mixed response. So I'm gonna see where we fall. But if you laugh either way, either laugh because I'm funny or laugh because you feel sorry for me, we're gonna be good. So, and then we're gonna get started after this, I promise. But uh, this is important, you gotta laugh. What did Jonah's family say when he told them about what happened before reaching Nineveh? He said, hmm, that sounds fishy. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. I got more. I got more. This one was, what was Moses' wife Zephora known as when she would throw a dinner party? The host with the Moses. Let's see. Casey told me not to tell that one. So I don't know how you laughed. I don't know where you're set, but thank you. This is a good one. Which Bible character was super fit? Absalom. Man, y'all are killing it. Thank you. This is going really well. Uh, what did Adam say when asked what is his favorite holiday? It's Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, Mariah laughed at that one. Oh, well. I, I tested it on two different uh, ends of the spectrum. Tested it on Casey because she'll tell me the truth and Mariah because she laughs at everything. So... Uh, just two more. Why did Adam and Eve do math every day? Because they were told to be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> All right, this is it. This is the best one. And then I'm moving on. What did Adam say to Eve when handing her something to wear? He said, take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah, that one's good. All right, y'all are doing good. Y'all are doing good. I want to talk this morning, um, and we're going to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 7. And it amazes me, as long as I've been doing this, which is really all my life, that the Lord will put things on your heart way before you need them. And, and when I knew I needed to speak today, this is one of those I kind of had tucked away, and I've, I've got a running list of good ideas. You learn when you're kind of in this environment and when you do this, you better write it down when you think about it or you will forget it. So I have running list of things. And uh, this morning I'm talking about when the process is painful. And, and I think this is probably going to be a little different than last time when I spoke. But uh, I think the Lord has something to teach us here. Some of you have already been through some pain this morning. Those jokes were, yeah. So the process has started off with an illustrated or an illustration but uh, I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 7. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope is for you 
our hope is for you is un unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul is writing the church in Corinth, and he's reminding them that we should comfort those who are in affliction because we have been comforted. If we share in Christ's sufferings, then we also share in his comfort. If you hurt, we hurt. If you win, we win. But if you lose, we lose. And uh, how do we get there? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for your word because it, it, it doesn't matter where we're at. It doesn't matter when it's at. Lord, there's something in there speaking to us. And Father, I pray today that you help me to speak what's on my heart and that you use your word and your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us this morning. I thank you for your faithfulness. Father, I thank you for your comfort. I thank you for being an ever-present help in the time of trouble. We ask all this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. When I think about a painful process, I look around. I know many of us have been in one. One time I had to get stitches in my eyeball. That was painful. And uh, what they do is, if you've ever seen this like on TV, man, they crank your eye open so it can't blink. And, uh, and then, you know, they give you that first shot that deadens everything. And, you know, it wasn't too bad. I can remember thinking, eh, okay, that's good. They begin to sew it up. It's kind of a weird sensation. And, you know, they pull it tight. And you're like, okay, I can handle that. It was the last shot they gave me. There was something in it that just, at the moment, nothing happened. But we drove off about 10, 15 minutes down the road, and I thought I was going to pull my ears off my head. It was so painful. It was the medicine in the shot that just got to me. Um, another time, I had to get stitches in my lip. Y'all, I got a current, uh, like a reoccurring theme here. Um, I was a rough kid. But this was, I was working at the church, and uh, church will kill you, everybody, I'm telling you. Um, I was working at the church, and I busted my lip open right here, right up under my nose. And I remember going to the doctor. I was probably about 15, 16 years old, thinking, man, I've had stitches before. No big deal. Let me tell you something. They gave me the shot. You know, they lay you down on the table, and they just gave me the shot. And immediately, like this involuntary ejection of saline came from my eyes. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm not crying, but, oh, man, uh, tears are coming out of my eyes. That hurts. And there's so many nerve endings right up here up under your nose that uh, it was, that's probably the toughest stitches I've ever had. Uh, I think about my wife, Casey, is here this morning on the front row. And uh, man, she broke her hip last year, about August of last year. And they, they said, hey, we're going to see if this thing will heal. So they did surgery. And, you know, it got better. And then it got worse. And the surgery didn't work. We had to have another surgery. Uh, the first time, she couldn't walk for like three months. Because the process was painful. You know, we're all stuck in some sort of different process. You know, comfort is mentioned in these scriptures eight times. Just four little scriptures, but comfort is mentioned eight times. I took the time to look that up in Hebrew and Greek. And it turns out comfort in Hebrew and Greek actually means comfort. Um, it mean, guys, y'all know. <laughs> I t if I say something funny, you got you to gotta holler back. Keep, keep this thing moving. <clears throat> but yeah, comfort actually means comfort. It means consolation. It means encouragement. My, uh, my grandmother, my grandma Parker, we called her Mamma Parker, she knew how to give comfort. Uh, my dad loved these Barks root beer. That's so nasty. But he liked them. And what they would do is they had this refrigerator on the back porch, and they always had Barks root beer in there. So if he ever stopped by, if he's in town, no matter when he came, he could have a Barks root beer. Uh, if you were hungry, 
you're like, Memo, I'm hungry. She's like, I'll be right back. And like six minutes later, she's got roast and potatoes and gravy. And I'm like, how does she do that? My favorite thing that she did really, I think, was like her medicine cabinet. She had all the medicine. I'm talking about all the cool Band-Aids, all the, all the salve, whatever you needed she had. Uh, she had this thing called uh, K-O-Pectate. Yeah, I don't even know what that is, but she had it. And she, if you're hurting, she'd give it to you. So um, all the, you know, like, and Casey does this. We got all the Band-Aids they've ever made. Little ones, big ones, square, round, rectangle, feels like skin, glue. We got it all. Uh, my grandmother was that way. But my favorite thing that she had, that she did, she had an aloe vera plant. And if you just burn your finger, she'd come in there, she'd cut off one of those little leaves, and she'd go to squeezing, and she'd get that juice out of that leaf. And I'm thinking, this is so cool. I don't know why I thought that. This is so cool. And then she'd take one of those fancy uh, Band-Aids and wrap it up. I got, most of the time I went to her house, there was nothing wrong with me. And uh, my mom finally said, if you go to her house and get sick one more time, I'm going to kill you. Which, if you know my mother, that's, that's a direct quote. And, and I'm talking about comfort because she knew how to give comfort. And when the process is painful, the first thing I want to let you know this morning is that you're not alone. You know, I want you to take comfort in knowing that you're not the first person to go through a painful process. We don't always understand what God is saying or what he's doing. I think about Job this morning. Job is known for his painful process. Have you ever heard anybody say, uh, you need to pray for the patience of Job? And I'm like, no, not at all. I don't, because I, I don't want the suffering of Job, so I'm not praying for his patience. Job, he had seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, many, many servants. The Bible says this man was the greatest of all. He was a faithful man. Job would consecrate his children constantly, which is just a fancy word for dedicating set them aside for holy use. He often prayed for his children and offered sacrifices on their behalf just in case they were bad and he didn't know about it. If I did that, I'd be burning cattle every day. Some, some of y'all won't admit it, but you would too, praying for them children. Um, I don't always only think of the things that Job went through because we know he suffered great loss, but I think about the faithfulness of God. You know, he had lost his family, he lost his wife, lost his health, lost his wealth, everything that could happen, happened. But the faithfulness of God was there to meet him. He is the perfect example of anything that can go wrong, went wrong. And do you ever feel that way? I, I do. I wake up and I'm like, hey, what's happening today? Because yesterday was awesome. So let's, let's see if we can blow some stuff up today. And I think we all find ourselves there often. And that's what I think of when I think of Job, except when you get to the end of his story. You know, I don't know why God allowed Job to go through all that loss. I can't imagine being in his position, losing his friends, losing his family, getting balls on his skin. The worst case scenario. But I look at Job 42, verse 12, and they have this for the screen. It says, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys, he also had seven sons and three daughters. But it was a process. You don't, you don't wake up one day and you got 10 kids. It's, it's, a, it's a process. I don't think you wake up one day and you have 14,000 sheep. It was a process. If you can hang in there this morning, can I encourage you? If you can hang in there, your joy is coming back. 
Your health is coming back. This morning, your family is coming back. I don't think God has left you. I don't think he's forgotten you. I know he hasn't forsaken you. You may feel this morning like you're down, but I'm telling you, you're not out. The Bible says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Second thing I want to tell you that is it's temporary. Job went through hell. There's, there's really not a nice way to say it. He just went through hell and, and, and multiplied hell. We don't have that, that a better example. Like everything in his life is broken. But can I tell you this morning, nothing lasts forever. John 16, 21 says, a woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come, but... Now, I considered making a joke there. And I said, if my memo Parker was here, she would say no. So, but I will say that sometimes you, you, need, you need your butt to get out of the way. All right, that's it. It's a transitional word. It means something is coming, something is moving, something is happening. That's why I can make that joke. It says, but as soon as she gave birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. Sometimes our hour comes. There's, there's, no way, there's no way around it. We can't help what happens to us. We can't help the circumstances around us. We can't help the attack that comes. James 1, verse 2 and 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, and I bet a lot of you know this scripture. It says, When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. My friend Doug Pollock says that's a growth opportunity. Uh, verse 4 says, so let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. This morning, that pain that you feel, that struggle that you feel inside of you, it's there to develop something inside of you. It's there to sharpen something inside of you. I think I've told you guys last week, and I say it often, because this seems to be the theme of my life. If, if I'm singing, leading worship, you're going to, and I know y'all probably get tired of it, but I, I got to talk about the faithfulness of God. I have to talk about the goodness. I am a hard head. I have to learn it the hard way. And I think about the times that the Lord has been merciful to me, that he has been kind to me, that he has sent people that say, hey man, that's not how you do that. Or he sent people that put up with me doing it the wrong way 27 times and they finally got through to me. That's how the Lord talks to me. He is gentle. He is long-suffering. Some of y'all, he's long-suffering. I think about Paul this morning. Think about how he wrote most of the New Testament, how he brought the gospel to the Gentiles. He had taken the gospel further than anybody. But Paul's thorn in the flesh has always intrigued me. If you've ever felt like you're being treated unfairly, you like to think about Paul and his thorn. But why didn't God remove that? Why did he deal with that so long? What was this thorn in the flesh? I thought about Smith Wigglesworth last night. Great, if you know who Smith Wigglesworth is, great revivalist, faith healer. I mean, this guy prayed for 14 people and brought them back to life. One of those was his wife. And just such a powerful man of God. But there were three years where he had kidney stones so bad that he would be laying down and then go and minister and then go back and lay down. So he's praying for people to be healed. The Lord's healing them, and yet he's, he's suffering with infirmary himself. And doesn't that, doesn't that feel like, like us sometimes? I'm doing everything right. I go to church. Sometimes I even read my Bible. I listen to K-Love or the cross, and, and, and still I'm going through hell. Still I'm being attacked. 
I know, I know y'all don't listen to K-Love. Um, I sympathize with this thorn story because one Sunday afternoon in a galaxy far, far away, I had a thorn in my flesh or maybe a stick. Uh, I went home with somebody on Sunday afternoon, which was a rare thing in my house. My mom had this deal where she didn't let me go to anybody's house on Sunday afternoon because she didn't want anybody coming to her house on Sunday afternoon. Every once in a while, I could sneak off. And I, this was one of those days. I went to this little fella's house, and we were playing outside, and he had like a six-foot fence in between his property and this big field. So naturally, you're a boy, you climb the fence. And it's six foot, it's a really good challenge. And I get up that thing, which is probably a miracle because I was a chunky kid. And uh, I get to the top, and you know, I ain't climbing down, I'm jumping off. Man, I jumped off the top of that thing, and I landed on this, I think a crepe myrtle. And it had this little, little thing sticking out, and boy, it got me right there on the back of my leg. And, you know, you're, I didn't think a whole lot about it. It just felt like something bit me. But uh, as the day went on, we, we went to church on Sunday night in those days. You know, I got to know, man, my leg is hurting. Boy, and I reached back there, and I ripped my jeans, which was you get in trouble for that. And then I'm like, oh, man, my leg is bleeding. But I didn't tell anybody because it was Sunday night church. You'd, you'd have to bleed through anyway. Um, <laughs> so we get, we get, look, I got to tell you all some stories about my sicknesses at church. It didn't matter. Lord, he, I, never mind. I ain't going to do it. I've had some good ones. We, we would put off surgeries to go to church. Um, true story. Um, that little stick stuck in my leg. And finally, Sunday night, we got home. You know, I kind of go in there. I'm probably seven, eight years old. And I say, uh, I said, Dad, I, I did something to my leg. Something stuck back there. I could feel it, but it, it broke off in my leg. And uh, I, I show it to him. And my dad was a doctor, and uh, he, he was, he was kind of into everything. He was preacher, pastor, carpenter, mechanic. He's one of those, those old school dads, like he could do anything, but being a doctor was, was really not his gift, and uh, I remember he laid me out on the altar of my kitchen counter, and kind of like Abraham and Isaac, he laid him out, and uh, he's like, I got this, and he proceeds to Remove this stick from the back of my leg with, with the dullest tweezers you've ever seen in your life. I didn't even know tweezers were supposed to be sharp until like I was 40 years old. I bought a pair and I'm like, dude, these things cut. And then all of a sudden it's like, my mind goes back. My dad was digging my leg out with a pair of dull tweezers. So now I can be a, a little dramatic sometimes. And uh, I can make a little thing into a big thing. I've been told. I don't feel like I am that way, but I have been told. Um, well, I promise you, when I, had, I was on that altar of sacrifice, that I was making a big deal out of it. I was squirming. I was screaming. I'm like, you're killing me. You're killing me. Because uh, I was that kid. Finally, my mom saves my life. And because uh, I, I really thought my dad was going to just, just stab those tweezers in my leg, leave me lame for the rest of my life. She finally says, you've done enough. You've killed him. And uh, I'm going, I'll take him to the doctor tomorrow. Turns out they had better tweezers. Man, they popped that thing right out. No big deal. It was a painful process. That's what I'm trying to get to. And the thorn, all of a sudden, I went to the right place. The thorn is gone. But why didn't God do that for Paul? He could have done it. He could have removed this thing. Here he is in his prime of his ministry dealing with this, this thorn. I think some of us this morning are wondering why are we going through such a hard time? 
And it could be, man, all over the spectrum. This many people, it's, we're all over the place. I know, if, if I'm being honest, I really only know how to be, I'm, I'm, I'm too honest sometimes, so I only know how to be real. And, and I know as a church, we hit, kind of, we hit a tough spot. And I'm asking myself, why are we doing this? And, and when I told you before, I have, this, I have this tucked away in my notes, and I'm going through this, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is where we are, and this is where the Lord has drawn me to go this morning, even though I put this together months ago. Why are we going through such a hard time? Why does this thing that you're facing make you feel like you can't breathe? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there in, in the dark of the night and you, you just, you almost work yourself into a panic attack? I wish I could tell you that, no, I'm, I'm stronger than that, but I'm not. I'm not. That's real talk. I've been there. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says he was given a thorn, a messenger of Satan, so that he wouldn't become conceited. God's using him powerfully. He's literally writing books. He's traveling all over that part of the world. He's preaching the gospel. He's getting beat up for God. Who doesn't want to do that? Uh, counting it all joy. Three times he asked God to remove that thorn, whatever it was. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, they have this in the back. I want you to read it. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Can I tell you this morning that in the kingdom, nothing is wasted? Not your, not your pain, not what you're going through. Even when Paul went to prison, he says, and I feel this way this morning, I love Jesus, but I don't want to go to jail for Jesus. I wouldn't make it in prison, guys. Uh, I just, I need my tweezers, and uh, I, I wouldn't make it. The Bible tells us about Paul and Silas being in prison, right? We all, we have a standing joke, and if we ever, y'all forget what I'm about to tell you. If the service is just dead, you can always count on Paul and Silas to get you out. You just go to that midnight praise. The Lord began to move in that prison that you're facing. You know, you throw your little preach voice in there. And you say, the Lord's going to get you out of trouble like he did Paul and Silas. Your prison is about to shake. Yeah, you can do that. And if it all ain't happening, we go with Paul and Silas. But can I tell you what, what gets me with Paul and Silas in my life is how the Lord used that. Now, he uses that to, to speak strength in us. He uses that to speak faith. Absolutely. But on their way out of the prison, they witnessed to the jailer. And they lead him in the Lord's Prayer. They introduce him to Jesus. Paul's moment in prison led this man into the presence of God. It changed his life forever. Nothing is wasted in the kingdom. Nothing. Some of you this morning are going through a tough time. Some, 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 let's be honest. We, we know what some of the tough times are. But there's, there's many that I don't know. Can I tell you, even when I was putting this together, there, there were faces that came to my mind. There were situations that came to my mind of things that people have been through. You know, I thought about our uh, Peyton Barmore goes to church here. I, I talked to him last week, and I was like, man, you have been through one of the worst things that you can go through by losing a child. But the next Sunday morning, he was in church. The next Sunday morning, I don't know if I could do that. And yet he was here the next Sunday morning. He's consistently drawn his strength from God. He has been a witness for us. The Bible says if you share in our comfort, if you give comfort to others, then you share in their comfort. If you share in their anguish while they're going through it, 
it all works together. And what we have seen with Peyton Barmore and his family is we have shared in their comfort as God has comforted them. Because when I see their faithfulness, it challenges me. It cha- although I've, you know, served the Lord all my life and, you know, it, I really have a boring testimony. I have my moments of faithlessness. I have my moments of weakness. I have my moments where, Lord, I put a bunch of work into this and I don't see you doing anything. You know, thank God, my mom taught me to be honest with the Lord because he knew it anyway. He's like, just tell him you don't like him. But Lord, I don't like you today. Father, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like that I can't hear a thing from you. I can't listen to a single song and feel your presence. I can't read the Bible and see that you're anywhere near me. You're mad at me. You know, I saw somebody the other day say the other day, when you feel like you can't pray, you know, you can't pray and you're talking to the Lord like I just did, you're praying. You're talking to the Lord. And this morning, I, I encourage you, just tell it like it is. Don't, don't feel like you got to be all King James. Just tell it like it is. I'm hurt. I can't breathe. I can't move. I need you to come. I need you to help. The way that Peyton and his family have handled that I th- will forever change my life. I think about this morning, I was hoping Jamie would be here because her story of hope, it, it changed something in me that needed to be changed. Now, I'm brave enough to say it. I, th- I thought I was good. I wasn't. I, I, ne- I needed her story to have a little more compassion. I needed her story to have a little more patience because God is that way with me. And this morning, when I was writing this, putting this together, I I was thinking, how is Jamie doing? Man, (laughs) it takes a lot of strength to get up and tell your business. A lot. If I told y'all all all my business, y'all would be like, Lord, have mercy. We're in the presence of sinners. Um, thank you thank you for what you did it's not only did it change me but it's still changing me because what happens is when the Lord gets on me and that because you know I know everything there's not any you can't say something to me that I don't have an answer for and when the Lord finds me in that spot he says remember how you were with Jamie I'm like oh because I was I thought I was good, but the Lord used her. I shared in her anguish, and in that anguish, I found comfort. And the Lord's going to bring you comfort. He is. The Lord, the Lord you, it wasn't supposed to change me. I was supposed to be good. I wasn't. Some of y'all aren't good. Y'all need to get better for whatever reason. And uh, there's hope this morning. The third thing I want to tell you. There's hope. There's this, by, I'm not going to make you raise your hand because y'all might be embarrassed, but I bet at least 90s teenagers have seen the movie Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. I love the scene that Jim Carrey is talking to Lauren Holly, you know, and, and he's, he's trying to win her over. You know, he's done got new clothes. He's... I, He's doing him. He's, he's got that orange tuxedo. You remember the orange tuxedo? Uh, 
my dude Dylan Williams had that orange tuxedo a couple years ago, and uh, he man, they busted out loud and proud, and he's flirting with her, trying to win her over, and there's that scene where he looks at her, he says, he says, you know, what are my chances? He's yeah, what's what's happening? What are my chances? And she's she's kind, and she's like, not good, and he's like. Well, is it like, like one in a hundred not good? And she says, eh, it's more like one in a million. And you see his face drop, you know, and he's disappointed. He kind of looks aside. But then all of a sudden he's like, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> Look, that's hope. That's, that, that's hope right there. Look, you, what you may go, be going through this morning may look impossible. That night may feel too dark. But everything may feel like it's going under. But I'm telling you, you have more than a one in 100 chance. You've got more than a one in 100 chance when God on your side. We have hope this morning that his name is Jesus. I want to look at Psalm 34, 18. I want to reassure you, when I get in these, these spots, this is what I do. I, I think I told you last time when I spoke, I keep these scriptures close. When I get an attitude problem, which happens occasionally, I will go through this to lift my spirit. David said, why so downcast on my soul? He didn't have Apple Notes. I got Apple Notes. I don't have to be downcast. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. I think about long processes and painful processes and I think about the life of David. And I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna highlight his life real quick. You know, he kills the lion and the bear. Um, First Samuel 17 said he rescued the lamb from the lion's mouth. He's anointed king, like maybe 10 to 15 years old. There's debate. And it's 15 years before he's anointed king. So there's a process there, a, probably a painful process. He kills Goliath as a teenager somewhere in there. He's king of Judah, south kingdom. He's used by God to join the kingdoms together. God tells him his throne is established forever. Man, this is all good stuff. The Lord's moving. He's a man after God's own heart. But, we talked about that a while ago. But, he struggles with pride. He struggles with arrogance. He struggles with lust. He struggles with envy. At some point, we're all David. At some point. Some, sometimes we're good. Sometimes we're less than good. But at some point, we're all David. Might be broken, busted, winning, losing, hurt happy, on fire, then sometimes we're fizzled out. We're all David. Then comes Bathsheba. Everybody knows about Bathsheba and David. And the union that they have produces a child. And this is really where I want to be this morning. David's heartbroken. The baby dies after seven days. And this is, this is really where I want to be, 2 Samuel 12, verse 20. It says, then David arose from the earth. He washed and anointed himself. He changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. There's a time to grieve. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to be, I'm doing great every time I see you at church. There's a time to grieve. David teaches us this. There's a time to grieve, but there's a time to get up. You've, you've grieved, you've grieved enough. There's a time to let it go. There's a time to get up. There's a time to wash away the pain. Quit holding that over yourself. Let it go. Let it go. It's, it's not fair in the kingdom. It's not fair how God can forgive me for being a wretched sinner. It's not fair. 
It's not my fault. It's how he does it. I, I can't help that. And if whoever wants to hold my past against me, it's yours. I don't care that anymore. It's yours. It's not fair. I understand it, but it's your problem. It's not mine. The Bible says he got some new clothes. He changed his clothes. He probably stayed in those same clothes for seven days. That means he, he stayed and he wallowed in that for seven days. But he teaches us there's a time to get up. There's a time to worship. There's a time where, okay, I've had enough. Take off my Hank Williams and put my Cody Carnes back on. Y'all laughing because y'all do that. I know. I do it too. I told you the Lord's still working on me. Psalms 91 one verse, uh, verses one through two, you will recognize this scripture. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The word dwells there means remains. And I'm telling you, that's where we mess up. That's where we all mess up. We don't remain. We don't stay. We come to church one Sunday hurt, broken, busted, and we, they didn't sing the right song. I know. Y'all think, I don't sing the right song to myself sometimes. It's just, I don't read the right scripture for myself sometimes. Uh, can I tell you this morning to stay in the shelter, remain in the shelter, to live in his shadow? See, if I don't get out of it, then I don't have to come back into it. He's hiding me. He's protecting me. This morning, your pain, it was real. Don't, don't get down the road and, and, and try to convince yourself, ah, you made a big deal out of nothing. No, it's real. Your regret is real. This morning, I know you've been hurt. I know it's changed you forever, but you have to close the book. You've got to move forward. This morning, I want the, the band to come back. Y'all know I don't preach long like our pastor. Three and free, that's what I believe. Three and free. Yeah. I don't want to give y'all a false closing, though. Albert Einstein said this. He said, life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving forward. The key this morning, that's what I'm all about. What can I remember about today? The key, we've already read this. I want to read it again, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. When we are weak, when we're broken, when we're empty, his strength is made perfect. I can't, I, I could not be here. I don't, I don't have time to tell you my life story. I'm only here by the grace of God. That's, that's not just a song. I'm only here by the grace of God. Look, I, I, I went through my own crisis. I wasn't going to say this. You know, I don't want to get up and tell my joke. But, you know, I, I went through my own crisis about 20 years ago. And, and it would, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd be here today if it wasn't for Evangel Temple because they let me come. They asked me to come. I'm like, y'all are crazy. I literally said, do you know? They're like, yeah, we know. I was like, and I fought the whole time I was there through my crisis, through, through my, the, one, the toughest time of my life. And I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for them. I wouldn't. And the Lord will use something out of nowhere I didn't even know, they, I don't know, they found me. I, they, they've really, like, if I could draw you a picture of how they found me, it would be in like an alley in New York sleeping under a cardboard box because it was just, it was a, it was a rough time for me. 
And uh, it was one of those, everything that can be shaken was shaken, broken off, mailed to Japan, and not ever coming back. It was a tough season. They helped me. They helped me to stay in the shadow. They helped me to live in his presence. They helped me. They, they carried my anguish. And look, here we are. I'm, we're going back 20 years later. I mean, I never saw that. And we're, we're going back. I've been around the world and back again. And uh, we're going back to where the Lord did something special, where the Lord literally reached out and said, no, I'm not done with you. Because I was done. I was done. Because I'm not doing this anymore. It's, it's too painful. The cost is great. And he literally reached down and saved my life. And the Lord used him to do that. Stay in his shadow. Live in his presence. Rely on his strength, not your own.